Welcome to this podcast of But Did You Die? Podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host, Craig, Mandy, Wendy, and me, John. We are an acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. Let's talk about the vaccine today. There's a ton of misinformation out there about it. And, and I really, I want to start and end with the, the, the same comment. And, you know, barring a change in information, I will say the vaccine is not perfect, but it is better than COVID. And that is barring some new information that we get uh, that develops. But given what we know now, the vaccine is not perfect, but it is better than COVID. There's just a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, I know that a lot of the healthcare professionals that we work with are electing not to get the vaccine. Um, Some of them have uh, some rational concerns. Some of them not so much. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there needs to be more rational discourse, um, and you need to pay attention to who you're listening to talk about the vaccine. Um, and you need to be real careful with, oh, well, I heard a story about this one person who got the vaccine and such and such happened. It's like one person out of how many millions now that have gotten the vaccine? Like, it just doesn't make sense. That one person might've had gotten in a car wreck and had been killed. Yeah, I mean, like, so there's got to be rational thinking about this. Um, to date, I don't know how many have been vaccinated. I know we've uh, got a significant number that have been vaccinated throughout the nation, um, and both the Pfizer and the Moderna. And oh, by the way, we are not paid by anybody to say anything, um, but we're for sale. So no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but we're not sponsored to say anything good, bad, or ugly about any of these uh, products. Um, we, I got the Moderna. Did y'all get the Moderna? I got yeah. the Moderna. Yeah, so, yeah. so we all got, got the Moderna. Um, I know my dad was saying he got the Pfizer. Um, Do you have any side effects? Sore arm. Okay. Like I personally, I'm, I asked because I got no, all I know, I know you did. side effects at work. So. <laughs> oh, I got them too. It was lovely 36 hours. But that's it. It was 36 hours and done. So, And that's cool yeah. when you're at home. It's not so cool when you're at work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I agree. Like there's A lot of folks who think um, like COVID isn't real and it's not going to affect you because you're, you know, this pseudo healthy person. We're no longer seeing people that are, you know, chronically ill at this point. I'm seeing people that are in their 20s and in their 30s. And you can look at the graphs right now. You can go to TMC. You can go to any organization that is tracking and go, oh, look, it's 30-year-olds that are sick now. The other thing that, so Paul Offit is a guy who's like specializes in vaccines and I've listened to some of his uh, interviews and I really respect his opinion. I think he's uh, very articulate and I think he's well-educated. Um, and I think he lets the science speak for itself. 
And one of the things that he really, I felt, tried to emphasize is, yes, we are seeing younger people getting sick. And, of course, if you have comorbidities, you are certainly at a, a higher risk. But if you're a young person and you get sick and you maybe just don't feel well, you're still infectious and you can cause other people to get sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the vaccine is going to help reduce that, that risk. Now, I mean, yes, we still need to be mindful, wear masks when we need to and social distance and, uh, you know, be respectful because we don't have the data yet as to, you know, how protective it is. But we know it's got protectivity. Um, and we've got to, we've got to, you know, respect that. And so even if you're the 30 year old who is healthy and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm fine, I'm, I don't I'm, you know, take care of myself, I eat right. That's great. But you can still have an asymptomatic course and get your loved one sick or your friends sick. Um, so it's, it's still beneficial to get the vaccine. Now, maybe not be the first one in line, given that, you know, we do have healthcare workers that still need it. We've got nursing homes that still need it. Um, but I think that, yeah, this is the, anybody who's saying that this is not real. I, I don't that that can't even talk to them. I also don't know when we moved away from like listening to educated people in a rational manner, scientific expert. I mean, we've had vaccines vaccines develop over the last several decades, and I think this is the only time in the course of history when people have been like. That's not real. That doesn't work. That's fake pseudoscience. I mean, look at smallpox. That's a perfect example. That was a brand new vaccine. They gave it out. And now I don't have a smallpox vaccine scar because it worked. And I just don't understand when we moved away to listening to education and science and rationally, like, it's become so irrational. Like the idea that you can be injected with a microchip through a 25 gauge needle or smaller is, <laughs> is insane to me that I, I just don't understand where that thought process, they can track your phone. They don't need you. Yeah. And by the way, you're not that interesting. Like no, nobody wants no. to track you. Like nobody cares that you're driving down yeah. 35 in your Honda Civic listening to Eminem still like, <laughs> you know, they can track your phone. They can track your spending. They can listen to your conversations if they really wanted to. And there's a law enabling them to do that. I mean, uh, well, the thing that, that, the, uh, you know, what? The, the same people that are worried about this microchip are the ones who are blabbering about on social media, which can be tracked. Yes. And, you know, you, you were asking that question. I think social media has played a big role in it gives a voice to people who maybe shouldn't have a voice. And I'm all in favor of free speech. But unfortunately, we don't have enough. Maybe they shouldn't have an audience is the problem. Well, th- we don't have enough <laughs> rational thinkers. Yeah. You know, and, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like, and there's that sensationalism. You know, people say something absurd. You're like, hey, did you hear this? Did you see this? Let's watch this. You know, and then all of a sudden you get a million views just because somebody wanted <laughs> to see this crazy person say something. Then all of a sudden that crazy person doesn't seem as crazy because they're like, wait a minute, he got a million views and now he's got a sponsor. And now, you know, and so it must be true. Yeah. It's like, well, hey, maybe if I say something crazy and then all of a sudden it's like, what do we believe? You know, and uh, and and again, I think, too, there is a big problem that we have of anecdotal medicine that unless you're trained in medical education of some sort, 
you are going to be more likely, not necessarily uh, everybody, but be more likely to succumb to that anecdotal medicine. And I, like almost every time I'm out with people who are, I'm visiting with people who are not, you know, medical professionals and they're like, oh, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm an ER doctor. And like, oh, you know, I went to the ER. Guess what? They didn't know it. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You're the one in a billion that had this, you know, rare, like they love to be the like one in a billion. Everyone wants to be special. That's what it boils down to. Everyone wants to be special. The stupid thing is everyone is special. Like there's not one person that's alike. Like you don't have to have that, you know, your DNA already says you're special. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so then comes into play the, the ego, right? Like you want to like, show that you're smarter than the doctor or this that he couldn't figure this out she couldn't figure this out google yeah and then you're like oh dr google you're yes, like you yes. know it's like well how do you know it's like I, I guess i mean you could be the one in a billion but rationally thinking statistically you know evaluating this it just doesn't make sense um but there aren't enough people that think like that which is sad because all these same people that are you know, worried about uh, the virus or, excuse me, the vaccine, they're probably not worried about speeding down the highway. Oh, but there's seatbelts, you know? It's like, well, vaccine's kind of like a seatbelt. I mean, maybe that's not a best example, but... It's actually a really good analogy. I mean, it's 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 there. I mean, you, you don't have to take it. You don't have to wear your seatbelt. But you're increasing your risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet we've gotten so comfortable in cars. It's just a, a comfort thing. Like, I agree. And, you know, it's a great analogy in my my opinion because it's like you know you look at NASCAR, right, or racing in general, and they have all these safety features, you know, in their cars and in their helmets, and you know, even their fuel tanks. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, and well, they don't need all that stuff. Yeah, they do. And, you know, as the population uh, gets infected here and the emergency rooms and the ICUs, uh, which we're all very much aware of because of what we do, uh, become saturated with these patients. And the family members are sitting there going, you know, why is this happening? Well, you could get the vaccine without being sarcastic, but you can get the vaccine and kind of help us out a little bit. Um, if you don't want to wear your mask, I mean, that's, that's cool, but at least get the vaccine. I Decrease agree. our workload. I, I definitely agree. You know, and, and there's a lot of concern that I've read about, um, heard people speak about, of, well, what if I have this disease state or that disease state, or what if I have, you know, this immunocompromised state, or what if I'm pregnant? I, and pregnancy is a whole, whole different thing, and I think... First and foremost, you need to have a conversation with your OBGYN. I mean, that, that needs to be a, a personal conversation. They're not going to test this on pregnant people. It's just, it's just not going to yeah, be done. Um, but there are some very rational theories that suggest it's very safe. However, that's just a conversation between you and your, your OBGYN. But if you're immunocompromised or have some disease state... I would still make the argument, and I think I would be well supported by the literature and other exports, that uh, you're a lot more in danger from COVID than you are from the vaccine. If you're some sort of immunocompromised state or chronic illness, so you you need the vaccine more than 
And I think people, more than COVID. <laughs> people just don't understand how it works. There's still that misconception out there that you get or can get the illness from the vaccine. Yeah. No matter what vaccine it is, even if it's the flu shot yeah, or yeah. the COVID vaccine, people just think that we're... And that's the craziest part to me because there is no... It goes back to that. They don't listen to rational thought and speech on scientific plants. I mean, they just... People don't, unfortunately. So I think we should talk a little bit about how that vaccine actually works, just a little bit, not to get, like, super scientific. That way people maybe can... Yeah, so so the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are... Uh, messenger RNA vaccines. There's one coming out. I think Johnson and Johnson has one that is not an mRNA vaccine and it's a one dose, but I don't know uh, where it is in the process. Um, And so before we, so yes, let's get to that. Before we get to that, there are others who are concerned. It's like, well, it was rushed. And um, in, in some sense, I think that's accurate, but I don't think they cut any corners that are going to I compromise care. I say it's rushed mm-hmm. because when have we ever produced a vaccine this quickly? Agreed. And, and it's not so much that they rushed it, but I think a lot of the bureaucratic red tape was removed to uh, allow uh, yes. these um, pharmaceutical yes. companies yes. to actually develop and work yeah. and do what they needed and, to do. And not only that, when in our history have we ever had the resources put towards something to, to develop it like that. And so, you know, you talk about eliminating the bureaucratic red tape to to get this done faster. The other thing that it did for the companies is it took away the risk. So so the second phase, so that there's usually three phases to the, to the vaccine. You get the first phase, second phase, third phase to kind of get FDA approval and then dissemination into the population. And the second phase is largely geared if I'm understanding it correctly, towards the companies ascertaining its own risk. Not the risk of the, the drug or the vaccine, but the companies ascertaining if we mass produce this, are we going to lose money? Because it takes billions of dollars to bring a drug to market, to bring a vaccine to market. So that second phase is, is largely for the company to take those, those years and say, well, wait a minute, we've spent a ton of time on R&D, and then we're going to have to market and all this other stuff. Is it going to be worth? Is is it going to be worth our our time and our investment? What is the return going to look like? So, the government stepped in and said, "We're going to pay you whether this works or not, as long as it's safe." So it took that risk away from them, allowing them to kind of jump into phase three, and just sort of hit the ground running in those trials, expediting that, which again eliminated a lot of the red tape, so that we could get this going. Um, we will certainly find out additional information as we proceed forward. Um, there will be you know, new information that comes out in six months that we don't have access to now, but I do feel that the information that we have now is very compelling that the vaccine is significantly better than COVID. <laughs> it is not perfect. I would agree so. Significantly I've never had better COVID, than COVID. But uh, I could deal with you know the 36 hours of not feeling well and diarrhea. I have had COVID (laughs) to a fairly not horrific degree, but I got the sickest I've ever been in my life. And so I 10 out of 10 recommend the vaccine. But 
as going back to that part about this being rushed, they've been working on these vaccines or this vehicle of vaccine for ten, decades. T- yeah, at least ten, maybe, yeah, at least it ten was, years. It just was never feasible because there wasn't any rationale to justify how expensive it is to keep it chilled so that the mRNA isn't degraded. And so now in the light of a pandemic, when we've lost millions of people globally, the ends justify the means, so to speak. So it's not that it was that necessary. I think that's a huge misconception that most people don't understand either. It wasn't necessarily that rushed they just rerouted it and started to use it for that but this will be the new vehicle for most vaccines yeah. in the future well and and so the mra m messenger rna enters the cell it does not enter the nucleus of the cell so all of the the comments out there about how it changes your dna no no it doesn't work that way it enters the cell and it is it's encapsulated in some sort of a, a, a lipid, uh, like a lipoprotein, because otherwise the mRNA would be disintegrated almost immediately. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to function. So it's got to be encapsulated. It's, it's encapsulated, and it causes the cell to produce those proteins that have the spike proteins on it that recognize the virus that, that, that can then allow your immune system to step up and do what it's supposed to do and fight the virus. But it does not enter the nucleus of the cell, does it not? change your DNA. And it degrades in like eight weeks. So it's gone. Yeah. In eight weeks, it's no longer quote unquote floating around your body, so to speak, because it's not there anymore. Yes. So, so that's sort of the vehicle that, that they are using to, at least with the, the two vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer, those, that's the vehicle that they're using. And both of the, those vaccines are two dose vaccines. Uh, Pfizer's is three weeks apart and Moderna's is four weeks apart approximately. Um, And you get, I think you get some decent protective coverage from just one dose. I want to say in the neighborhood of 80% is what they, so still pretty good, but zero. Yeah. But then with the second dose, you can get up to 94, 95%. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just like your MMR shot. Yeah. That we get as yeah. toddlers. Yeah. First dose gives you 80-ish percent in coverage. So your second dose brings you into the yeah. 90th percentile. Yeah. I, I mean, and I just don't see a reason at this time not to get the vaccine unless you are waiting to allow those who really need it to get it first. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense, and that's very respectable. If you want to get your your frontline healthcare workers to get the vaccine. If you want to get your nursing home patients, your, your chronically ill patients that are at risk, your elderly patients, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I would still, you know, ask that you wear your mask and respect that you still may be asymptomatically caring, but you know, the, the vaccine is uh, from what we know now, not perfect, a lot better than COVID. So I know there was like a whole thing going around, especially on social media, which we're all like super happy about where (laughs) um, (laughs) 
because that's where everybody gets their information. Um, so that it caused neurological side effects, quote unquote, because they're so they did study these vaccines to a certain degree. And so a certain percentage of the population that got the vaccine got what is called Bell's palsy, um, which affects a nerve in your face and it can be temporary to permanent. Most of the time it's temporary. And so there was all of this hoopla on social media that, oh, it'll freeze your face and you're going to have this really funky looking messed up smile for the rest of your life, et cetera. Um, what these people didn't speak to is that if you actually extrapolated that out to a normal population size, it was at the same rate of occurrence as Bell's palsy typically occurs in the normal population. So just because they were going, yes, just because they were going through vaccine trials, they have to report everything, every minutia that occurs in a vaccine, in any trial, any clinical trial. Um, And that was just one of the things people are going to get sick no matter what is going on in their life, even if you're not part of a study or for part of a study. And so there is no proof that these vaccines cause a neurological deficit that is harmful to you at any rate greater than you could obtain it normally. And and one study I read suggested it's even less than the general population. So Bell's palsy occurred at a rate less than that in just the general population. Uh, Guillain-Barre is another one that they've talked about. Yeah. Same story that that you have a risk of getting Guillain-Barre from any vaccine, excuse me, any virus. Um, and as a matter of fact, you're the, the data that I was looking over, you're at a fairly significant, a, a significantly higher risk of getting Guillain-Barre from the flu than you are from COVID or the vaccine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's still not that high. I mean, it's scary because it, it can potentially affect your, uh, respiratory system. So for those of you out there, Guillain-Barre is a, uh, neurologic disorder. It's a demyelinating that basically causes your neurons to not function properly. It starts at your feet and it travels up. And when it gets to your diaphragm, it becomes a big problem, uh, because you can't breathe. And so we have to put you on an, a ventilator. We've got to intubate you, uh, and, and breathe for you. And, a vast majority of the time it, it, it resolves and it's supportive care, but it is scary because you're on a machine that's breathing for you. Um, but it's, it's rare. Um, I've seen it maybe twice in 10 years. I mean, I mean, I, that's, I'm one person, so I don't have, that's not really a, a I've fair. seen it once in over I a decade. I've seen it a couple times and yeah, like the last, I don't know. 15 years. Since I'm the oldest guy here, I'll, I'll <laughs> say uh, I think I've maybe diagnosed it three times in my 20 plus years. Okay. Yeah. It, it, and it's not one of those things where it, when you first see it, you're kind of like, mm, is that maybe could be, mm, you know, and you're like, let me call somebody else. And then you, they come in and they're like, hey, yeah, I think you're right. And it's like, oh, okay, wow. You know, yeah. what are the odds of finding this thing? But um, once again, you know, you, you get the vaccine and it's like anything else, you know, you get the flu vaccine, uh, which we've all gotten repeatedly over the last, you know, decade and change. Um, you can get sick prior to getting the vaccine. You could be developing Bell's palsy prior to getting vaccine. You can get 
Guillain-Barre prior to, you know, all this is developing prior to, and then, you know, you get the vaccine and your arm hurts and, oh, by the way, my face is not working right and my feet aren't working right or whatever. Well, and and I wish there were, uh, I wish that we were taught better how to analyze risk. I feel like that's taught later in life. Like, you know, uh, I guess some get it in college. I don't know if high schools get it now. I didn't get it in high school. I think it depends on your college degree, really. Yeah, probably. I mean, I have a degree that emphasizes a lot of research as one of my first degrees. (laughs) Um, And so you're taught correlation does not equal causation. But so many people just use correlation. And so, oh, my arm hurts and now my face doesn't move. Mm-hmm. So they are connected. They <clears throat> must be. Definitely. Definitely. And so. And, and, but then, you know, you, the people who can't seem to break down the risk. It, they always talk about how people are, are so scared of getting uh, attacked by a shark. And, s- like, a significant number more of people die in car wrecks than get bitten by a shark every year. And yet people care it's like yeah. deep. i don't want to get in the water it's like dude you live in oklahoma you're not even, <laughs> you're yeah. not even close i think your risk of getting attacked by a shark yeah. there it's, it's, it's just it's just not it's not reasonable but they you know they're, they're just for whatever reason that risk analysis isn't there and you know we talk we talk a lot in medicine about risk benefit and that's i feel like our our daily struggle is what we're doing with this patient better than the, the the risk of not doing it and that's and we use all the tools that we have at our disposal whether it's imaging or labs or you know the physical exam all the pieces that we can but sometimes we're wrong and unfortunately the way that things are are, are pivoted now is towards just hyper focusing on that one negative outcome instead of the hundreds of thousands that you may have gotten right. Um, I know that, you know, medical professionals are scared about it because of attorneys. Because attorneys are just looking for that one, that one payday. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't care if you've done a million right. All you have to do is one wrong. All you have to do is misanalyze risk one time. Um, you know, same is true if you're, if you're in finance and you're looking to, you know, assess the risk of investing in a company. You know, you all you have to do is be wrong once to go broke. You know, That's but the true. idea is that you have assessed the risk and you realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe there is something here and maybe I'm going to be a little more conservative with this particular medication or this particular investment or whatever it is. But, you know, you're not, you're not learning that until later in life. And I think that I'd love to see that. I, I earlier. <coughs> I also think um, that there's a I'm glad you brought up the whole imaging thing because people are going to sit around and they're going to go, oh, well, you know, I'm having a stroke. I need to be imaged and this, that, and the other because my face isn't working right. That's not how you diagnose Bell's palsy, right? You know, my legs aren't working. I'm having a stroke. That's not how you diagnose this, right? The ombre. It's not going to happen. And, and the same thing with COVID, you know, a lot of folks are like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I saw this thing on Instagram and it's like, well, 
12% of the population is surviving COVID. And all I can sit here and think is, yeah, that's not really true. It's 99.9% of the population. I think it was like 99.97% of the population. Even if it were true, it still doesn't encompass the burden of what's happening. Of what's happening. Yeah. The, the the ICU stays. Um, the yeah, I lost mean, that's fine for all the 99.97 whatever yeah. that are surviving, but... The lost productivity. Yeah, all the people that are just... I mean, I, I know for... We're, f- we're just... You know, we've got no more room in the hospital no. anymore. And so, heaven forbid, you have another disease going on, and there's, you know, and you need an ICU bed. There isn't one. Yeah. You know, and you're probably going to get COVID now. Um, you know, we hope, you know, we hope you don't. We're going to do everything we can to keep everything as safe and secluded as possible. This this disease is is very difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think too, you know, lost productivity. I know for a fact we've had several of our uh, staff who tested positive, completely asymptomatic, quarantined for two weeks. So, so now that means more work for the other staff. Um, depending on your job, you may or may not get paid. I know that there are those out there who are furloughed, laid off. Heaven forbid you own a restaurant or work anywhere in California because you, know, you just you can't, it's hard to make ends meet. So yeah, I mean, let's say that the disease is 99% survivability. That's great. That does not represent at all the burden that we're seeing. That's right. And it's just, it's just like, Or even the psychological component. Agreed. I mean, that's been huge mental health wise. The burden of quarantining at home, the lost revenue. The increase in child abuse and domestic abuse. Alcoholism. Suicide suicide rates. Yes. Because we know, I mean, unfortunately, especially when money is involved, the risk of suicide goes up substantially. substantially. Well, and I, could, I, I can even speak to, you know, and I'm sure you all kind of feel this way, or maybe don't, but the, the psychological part of feeling defeated over and over when you just get ambulance after ambulance after ambulance after ambulance and sick person after sick person after sick person, and you're kind of wondering, what? How how am I going to help these people? Like I'm already so behind, and just kind of overcoming that your own head trash, and just saying, okay, I, I can. I'm just going to do the best that I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to okay. I'm going I'm to work with this person, help this person, move on to the next person because it's so easy to just feel defeated when you're just like, I got 20 people in the waiting room, and I'm already five patients behind in the ones that I'm supposed to be seeing in the department. And, oh, we've had three ambulances just show up. And, and you, they have, have, you have nine so more because everybody else is on diversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, I was going to say that. Like, the whole city's on diversion, and the EMS guys are like, well, you're the closest ones, and we're just coming here, and that's it. Uh, yeah, and diversion is a courtesy. It's not a... Yeah, which is why... It's not a requirement. It it doesn't mean that they're still not going to come. It's just a courtesy. You know, I really don't understand, you know, when hospitals get frustrated about diversion. I I can understand it in a non-pandemic situation, but it's a courtesy. I mean, ambulances can come wherever we want, and it doesn't do a thing for us on the walk-ins. 
the 20 patients that walked in through the front door. Yeah, there's no We're not on diversion for those people, you know. Um, but it is, it is the psychological component is very real. Uh, and it is very easy when you're, you know, two hours into your 12-hour shift to look and say, I'm already so behind. I don't know how I'm ever going to get ahead because <clears throat> people are just going to continue to come. And it's not stuff that comes in that you can just say, you stubbed your toe you can walk this one off these are people who are really sick um so yeah i think that's a big component i mean the the burden of this disease is not just the well hey most people survive it okay yeah i mean i think the burnout for hospital staff and for our first responders has just become i think we were already kind of burned out to begin with before covid even started but i think the pandemic has just really um emphasized burnout for everybody and you can see it you can see it in the nurses you can see it in just the regular house staff everybody because everybody's got to work that much harder well and there's also still that part of well i'm wearing my mask and i'm washing my hands and i'm but i'm i'm right up in this dude's face intubating them Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've got my shield on, and I've got and my I still got gown on. <laughs> yeah, and it's, is it when? When's my number? I mean, okay, yeah. I, I got the first dose, and hopefully I'm protected. I'll, I'll still, you yeah. know, it's like, but there is that, that sort of, you know, is it is it my turn? You know, and, and that's that's somewhat scary, you know, and you're just kind of fighting this battle of okay, I've got to, I got to put that out of my mind, and I've got to go to work. I've just got to go to work. So I had a, a person on Instagram. Uh, message me and they were talking they're in Rio Grande Valley her name's Helen she's a she's a nurse down there in the emergency room and also doing the house supervisor part and she goes I think I have PTSD she goes I hear alarms going off all the time now in my head uh I hear my you know phone going off uh for the house supervisor side and you know, I look at the bedboard and I look at how everybody's on diversion and the ambulances are just coming and people are just coming into the emergency room. And I feel overwhelmed. She goes, there are moments where I just like break down and cry. And I thought, I'm going to tell that story when we do our podcast. Because people need to know that these are seasoned people that have been doing it for a long time and are now getting to the point where it's like it almost feels like there's a loss of hope the vaccine is here to help us put a bridge in the spread of the pandemic and that's it you're helping us to help your family members you're helping us to help them to give us a little bit of time and if you don't want to take it that's fine but when your family is sitting out there and we're trying to get to them as fast as we can with everything going on, remember this. If you didn't take it, a lot of this is your fault. You could have helped. I think that's another part of the frustration that I have with the people who you know, don't want to take the vaccine for some stupid comp- conspiracy theory or another is that we see how overwhelmed we are with, not just with COVID, although a vast majority of it over the past month is COVID, but strokes are still coming. Yeah, heart attacks People are still, are still coming. Heart yeah. attacks, yeah. People are still breaking still legs, accidents, exactly. car wrecks. I mean, people still getting shot. People still getting shot. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's for overdosing. Well, and and it's also mm. the, one of the big differences I've seen, and, and I, uh, 
I'm willing to bet it's the same across the country, but I haven't talked to any of my colleagues across the country. Um, but one of the things I've seen, at least locally, is that now, this time, as opposed to in the summer, when, or, or even early in the spring, summer, when people were really staying home because they were like, oh, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to the ER. I'm not leaving my house. It's because they didn't want to get it. Now, pretty much everyone's got it. And so they're like, well, I've got it. I'm sick. I'm going to the ER. And so now, as opposed to a decline in volume, we're seeing an, a massive influx in volume of people who have COVID because, you know, mm-hmm. six months ago, you know, back in March even, they were just like, well, I'm, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to, you know, quarantine myself, stay away from this, which was the smart thing to do. But now so many more people have it. They're like, well, I've got it and I'm having trouble breathing. So I have to go to the emergency department. Um, and again, also the smart thing to do. I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of these people show up that need supplemental oxygen. Um, you know, but if, if you're choosing not to get the vaccine for some you know, ludicrous conspiracy theory, you're not, you're just hurting the situation. It's, it's not helping anything. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that part of it frustrates me um, and makes I feel like makes everything that much more difficult because now we have a seatbelt and um, we, we just want you, you to use it. You can walk away from this car wreck. Yeah, we just want you to use it. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, the, yeah, and again, it's not perfect, but everything we know right now says it's a whole lot better than COVID. Um, and so, yeah, there's a whole lot other burden even outside of the hospital, too. I mean, when I talk to my friends, uh, one of my good friends owns a restaurant, and he is I, I, hes still open, but just barely. You know, and that's because he's had some awesome years in the past and was smart with his money. You know, but, you know, he said that they kicked him back down to 25%. This is in Tennessee. And he's like, I can't, I can't even break even with 25% occupancy. You know? And, and so it's impacting... Yeah, it's not just the hospitals. Restaurants have thin margins. Yeah, it's it's not just us at at the hospital that's getting impacted. So the burden of this is huge, and the vaccine is is that silver lining, Uh, you know. And it's not gonna it's not gonna be perfect. I don't want to say that at all. But I mean, beats the alternative. Yeah, I think it also gives hope for people, like too, especially um, not just in the medical field, but in the general public, we all want to go back to our normal lives. Like we all miss music concerts and traveling and doing all of these things with our friends and family without without a mask or target without a mask. How do you spend two hours in target with a mask? You can't, I just can't. So, but I think it gives you a little bit of hope too. If people will take it though. Yeah. And and just, having to get together with your family without mm-hmm. worrying about, you know, like we killing grandma. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, cause you know, my kids were, uh, we were FaceTiming my dad the other day for his birthday and they were like, come visit, you know, granddad, come visit. And I was like, I, I don't know when they'll, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, just get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned the whole, PTS thing, I definitely get nauseated when I hear the EMS radio go off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, when that I'll, crackles, I'm just like, yeah, shit. That's actually a really interesting thing you brought up because they, so emergency workers and healthcare workers are actually already at an increased risk of developing PS, 
PTSD. People look at the military all the time because that's the most well-known, but just everything we go through, what we see, all of the stress and everything of our job, because we don't want to miss that one in a million and, Mm -hmm. you know, because we realize we work with people and affect their lives and everything. We were already at such an increased risk to develop PTSD and other mental health disorders. Um, That's why suicide rates among physicians are super high, too. Um, I would be really interested to see in the next couple of years what the data on this is going to be for us. I'm curious not only what the data is going to be, but I'm curious how many people are going to influence their children to not become doctors, to not become nurses, and not go into healthcare. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, I think that's going to be massive. Yeah. I mean, because we all do it from an altruistic point, but I don't think any of us, unless maybe, Craig, maybe you're the closest to think, okay, maybe I might get shot and killed on because you were in the military. But I don't think any of us expected to maybe potentially die from a disease or pandemic going into this. I don't necessarily think, uh, I think for me it was like, I know a lot of people are um, worried about it, but I think, you know, going into healthcare in the field that we're in, like, I just kind of assumed that risk. And my assumption is I thought everybody assumed the risk. Like, you never know what diseases are floating out there. And you always kind of take the risk of, one, you might catch something, or two, like, you know, needle sticks. You never know. You never know. And I just kind of thought, well, you just kind of assume the risk being in healthcare. Like, that's just the burden we bear. I think yes and no. It depends on where you work. Like the ER, yes, because yeah. we roll up with no PPE in a normal non-pandemic yep. setting. Yeah. There is no dress-up party in the ER. Yeah. And now it, I think it's just going to be, this is just like in the 80s when people didn't wear gloves before HIV. That's true. And now we all wear gloves. I don't think, I think this is going to forever define healthcare. In some ways, good. I mean, in, in, in some, some ways, ways good. good. Some ways like, I think we're always more, going to be masking yeah, we, we now. S- we probably should have been doing that more. You know, like we Probably. So but. I just want to address the PTSD part from the military side. So as I think it's very, well, I know it's very different um, from being on a combat operation and you're getting deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever and... You already, you know the risk. I personally knew the risk, and I was willing to take it. And in this scenario, um, every day is the risk. Like, there's a downtime when you come back, right? Because you you go on a mission, and then you come back. You work out really hard, and, you know, you hang out with your buds, and you're chilling out, and then you get ready to go on another mission. Then you get to go home. And you get to kind of see, and so, so that for me, um, if I'm if I'm going to compare it, when you go to Afghanistan, perfect example. You go to Afghanistan and you actually see wounded people, and you see people getting shot, and you see people, um, you know, blown up with IEDs. Uh, you get you get fired upon. Uh, your your base gets hit and whatever. When you come home and you get off the airport for the first time and you get in your car and you're listening to the radio, you realize nobody in America understands that there's a war going on. 
you're driving down the road, everybody's like happy, everybody's chilling, there's like a person at the stoplight thumping their car, people are at Burger King, people are at McDonald's. There's no there's no correlation between all the people in America and what is happening on the front line in Afghanistan. I can easily say the same thing is relevant for healthcare professionals right now. So you walk into the emergency room, you walk into the ICU, and you see all the ventilators. You see all these sick people. Nitric oxide, levofed, drips, out the yin-yang. You're putting in central lines. You're doing all these procedures to save these people's lives. And then you get in your car, you turn on your radio, and you watch people driving down the road, and you realize they don't have a clue what's going on. That's the reality of the world we're in right now. And everybody wants to sit around and be like, oh, it's fake. Bitch, it's not fake. No, it's definitely not fake. I wish it was. And, you know, if if I could, if I could, if there's, you know, if there's, if I know that there's a couple of dudes that actually listen to our podcast that are veterans that, you know, I've deployed with. So this is what I'll say when it comes to the vaccine. It's no equivalent to wearing your body armor. Right. It's it's the same thing. If, I, if you're going to get, if I'm going to go get in a firefight, I'm going to put my body armor on. I'm going to put my M4 on. I'm going to put my 9 mil on. And I'm going to go attack this thing. This is your body's way for the first time to say, hey, you know what? I can attack COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would probably say about all that right there. Yeah, I remember, you know, when I was in training, one of my mentors showed us a uh, a paper, I don't know, I don't know how validated it was, but it was interesting, that showed that other specialties, with the exception of the ICU, um, that spent a month in the emergency department doing the work that we do, uh, developed PTSD at a rate of 80-90% from being in the emergency room that one month. If they were in a specialty that was, say, not emergency medicine and not intensive care. Um, and I see some, not all, but some of our other colleagues who are not, maybe not stepping up like I'd like to see them. Um, and I get it. They're not in the emergency room or in the ICU. Um, and so they're not used to being under fire like that. But now's a completely different time, and we need all of our medical professionals to step up and recognize that we have a job to do. Um, and we're going to minimize the risk the best that we can um, with a vaccine, uh, with masks, with you know, proper hand hygiene, social distancing, all that. But you know, we've, I've, I've had some aggravating conversations with some other, not many, but one or two, that basically didn't want to do their job because they're like, well, it's just, it's just not safe. It's like, no, it's, it's not. Right now, nothing is safe. But this is your job. Step up and do your job. Um, you know, and, and I, I get it. They're, they're not used to that kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a mentality. They're, they're used to sort of having their, uh, their cush, like, hey, we're going to schedule it here. We're going to make sure we have all this done here and all these medications on board and everything. You know, we're used to like, hey, they just ate a bunch of I barbecue. Think it's I think the guess loss what? of control 
Yeah, which is, yeah. Which I can say because I'm a big control freak, but the lot, the, like the sense of that loss of control. What? <laughs> no. no. That, that's... <laughs> Not the hospitalist. No. <laughs> no, bro, no. Not you. Not you. <laughs> Believe it or not, I am a control freak. But no, I think you're. I think you're definitely right. I think that the PTSD is is very real. I think it's going to manifest in years to come uh, as we get past this, and we will get past this. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this sucks, and nobody in our lifetime has seen anything like this. Um, but we'll get past it, um, and you know how we how we learn from it is is going to be very important. Uh, but in the meantime. Put your body armor on, wear your seatbelt, get the vaccine. Like, I mean, that is Mm -hmm. the best that we have right now. Is it perfect? No. Is it better than COVID? Yes. And if I'm wrong, I'll come back and say I was wrong. But right now, I don't think I'm wrong. And if you have questions, reach out to a a reputable source, not Facebook, unless it's a source on Facebook or Instagram that you know is educated don't just go by the memes. Don't go by the. <laughs> yeah, this you know, isn't a one-liner. Yeah, I mean. um, take the time, educate yourself, read, and if you have a question, reach out. Ask your physician. Ask your family friend who you know is a nurse or works in the medical field, and you know, do what you can to. And just like you, make sure your seatbelt is clicked or your gun is clean. Do yeah. your due diligence. I think I'm going to close with this. The vaccine is not perfect, but it is better than COVID. I've said it several times throughout the podcast, and I did it on purpose because I hope that if there's anything you remember from it, it's that. that The vaccine is not perfect, but it is better than COVID. And with that, we appreciate y'all listening. Stay safe. um, Get the vaccine. And we'll talk to you next time. And if you're interested in learning more about training and consulting services offered by Opsa Medical Group uh, and how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, your medical teams, or your business, you can contact us through our website, opsmedgroup.com, which is O-P-S-M-E-D-G-R-P.com. And please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Lastly, although we are medical professionals, we are not your personal medical professional. <laughs> This podcast is in no way to serve as a diagnostic information or advice, nor is it to replace any personal Medicare you might, medical care you might need. If you're worried that you may need medical care, please see your private physician or closest emergency department. If you think you need emergency care, please dial 911. Thanks. Bye.